0: We're going live. We are now live,
1: so this is my
2: lumberjack outfit. I'm a lumberjack, and I'm okay. We We're just call cool. that fashion in Oregon, yeah. yeah, this is like this is considered <laughs> to be dressing up in Oregon, yeah. yeah,
1: I saw I saw you got some runs in last week, Corey, like oh it, yeah, it's bike El trails Nino. still not good or
2: like oh no, uh, bike trails are ready. El Nino has given us a gift of February mountain biking. that's nice. anywhere on the west coast. I don't know. It's just like
1: this piddly. It's still like this, like a little bit of snow, and it's muddy, and it's kind of. But I did get a Wahoo kicker and, for the office, so I've been doing that. And I don't know. I'm, I'm better I'm, than
2: nothing. It you'll, is you'll, much,
1: much yeah. better than nothing, actually.
2: Our power was out here for a, a little bit, and I was like looking into should I just get a bike to like power my house? Is that a thing?
1: Turns yeah, out
2: you can, but they're really expensive. And also, yeah. it like you know, obviously, I can't generate like kilowatts of power.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, that, that sounds like something the power company would give you like money back on,
2: right? Like, could you generate maybe. enough but, power oh, the, to push it back into could, the grid? No, like... <laughs> the amount you could generate would be like charge your phone levels, not like anything beyond that. Like, it's uh, like, I mean, think about it. Like, I can put out what maybe two to three hundred watts for like a sustained period. That's like yep. nothing in the. What grand if you, you bought a cat wheel? That
3: also generates. Yeah, power. I mean, we put Corey in like, the rats. cat wheel. Like it's <laughs> got to be big enough wheel. for Corey and a cat, maybe. Okay, or it I has, like this adjustable wheels. Like you take, you can extend it to like yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> Have <laughs> you
4: considered involving child labor of some kind, like opening a daycare? A crawl yeah, wheel. Yes, I, I'm gonna that. need hey, one of
2: those right now. Like I a can... seesaw that can generate some power, right? It, oh. Scale out, go wide. I true, so go wide. That's that's how it is now. I'll get an Ansible... Script going for setting that up.
1: Well, and welcome to another edition of Black Hills Information Security talking about news. My name is John Strand, and I am back from training week after week, back to back pay what you can classes. I think we trained over 2,000 people. or right around 2,000 people. It was crazy. Um, super excited to be back. And we've got, of course, a great show with news stories involving U.S. insurance companies getting hacked. The Verizon data breach, not the report, the Verizon data breach. Are they going to do a report on the report? Are they going to do a report on that? IT suppliers being compromised, bootloader shims and Linux systems hack exploits for job boards, stealing millions of resumes and personal data. And I think we're going to get around to still talking about Avanti devices being hit by a wave of exploits and security holes. It's just like they're 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 coming on strong as far as one of the most hated companies in computer security right now whenever it comes to breaches. So hats off to them. And also something a little bit different. If you're the audience and you're chatting, if there's a news story you would like us just to blindly click on in the form of a link, If you'd like to fish us.
2: (laughs) If you'd like to fish (laughs) us. Totally do our
1: our pre-production team's job for us. If there's something that's just burning in your soul and you're like, they really need to talk about this. Also, this particular edition of um, Talking About News is brought to you by Black Hills Information Security and Anti-Siphon Security Training. We do stuff. Like, I don't know. John, I... Guess. I don't know. You know so, I, I suck have, at this.
2: So go ahead, Corey. I have a question. When are we going to get our own Super Bowl ad? They're only $7 million for 60 seconds. Now, now on the content community team, or was it in the business meeting? I had an idea
1: for this and the idea was like a 32nd spot, right? A very sad Sarah McLaughlin song. Um, what's your like favorite? Like what's the saddest? In the Sarah arms of the
2: angel. In the arms of the angel. Right. Of
1: and it's nothing but the content and community teams pitcher like fading in and fading out and fading in and fading out. And then at the end, it says Black Hills Information Security. Please do business with us so we can hire our content community team back.
2: Um, (laughs) That's heartbreaking. Wait, they get paid $3 million? I don't wow. think it's quite that much. I think sometimes they spend that much.
1: They're like, uh, is it okay if we do a comic book? It's like,
2: yeah. do you want me to submit an approval? It just says, I need $7 million for a quick Super Bowl ad. And- that sounds like a ransomware <laughs> note at that point. But no,
1: we're a long ways from CrowdStrike levels of stupidity whenever it comes to spending. Um, I just, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, how do we feel? Does that feel like 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 we used to be the cool kids and now we're not cool because now we're being advertised in the Super Bowl along with like toilet paper? and Don, we're not CrowdStrike. CrowdStrike. We're we're not CrowdStrike, but I mean
5: the industry. I was going to say know. as the InfoSec industry, well, it's certainly not like uh, I remember the days when no one had heard of information security and were the people who didn't get invited to meetings. So I'd say it's definitely come a long way in the last, you know. Oh God. Yeah. yeah, it's
2: years? gotten a lot worse, I'd say. Yeah. I feel like an InfoSec
5: hipster. Like I see
1: I hear about that. <laughs> it's and it's you just need like, more hair. Oh yeah. <laughs> Facial <laughs> hair in particular. I'd be like, oh I was in computer security before it was in the Super Bowl. <laughs> no, I <laughs> i don't know
3: i don't i don't know like i feel like it's a play right out of their book Dude, if you got a formula one car like what's next like super bowl like that's it yeah i don't know the great. other thing is the, the bigger thing for me is if you're gonna do layoffs maybe you shouldn't do a super bowl ad you know did like, they do
1: layoffs did they announce that no uh, way i think they did had they? some layoffs a little while back oh i've got to fucking no, all... hold on i gotta see that
5: yeah (laughs) so there was a a question why are they marketing to the common man i don't think they are right i mean the super bowl is quite expensive did did you see all those
3: all those celebrities at the super bowl uh, i agree jack
5: dorsey was there right yeah right next to jay-z i loved it they're
3: like they're like it's beyonce and jay-z don't even talk about him like it's just right (laughs) so
5: i guess the reason i say it's not the common man is you know i had it on for most of the day and i noticed there was like a red hat ansible commercial
2: coming through like red hat
5: yeah like that's not for the common man, Red Hat and Ansible. So
6: I don't know. It's, it's definitely. I mean, that news. might be
2: localized. I, that might be like only be. for you.
6: It could be. <laughs> yeah. so, some of it gets from... localized. Uh, some of it is they understand how many execs are watching. The they, do. Yeah. they do. But they, they should do. know.
2: The only way to advertise to execs is to only have them listen to their neighbors. That's the only people yeah. execs listen to. They'll be mowing I'm the not... lawn. Oh, have you heard a crowd strike? And then next day, hey, we need to be buying CrowdStrike. <laughs> but, that's exactly well, or, how it goes. The down. neighbor gets a
3: new Porsche. He's like, oh, wow, that's weird.
2: That was, I was like
7: Barracuda in the airports. Do you remember the old yeah, Barracuda? Oh saying. my God, baracuda.
5: they had advertising everywhere. Yeah, and then Silence, I went through the, was it the Phoenix airport maybe one time? It was an airport in Arizona, I think. And Silence was everywhere in that airport. That was 28 I, I,
1: I love the Silence ads though. It's like Silence, Silence is attackers. I'm like, oh, that's crafty. That's, that's like, um, that's like, uh, like that is so bad from a marketing perspective. Like somebody's like, I don't know if you guys noticed, but silence and silence kind of rhyme and we should play on that. And then they did it. It's like, it's like the farmer's commercial. Uh, I, there's a comedian. I can't remember. He's like, you know, coming up with like tunes, like the guy drinks the entire night and they're like, okay, okay. You need to come up with a, with a song right now for, for farmers. Bum, ba bum, 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 bum. They're like, brilliant. Let's go with that. Um, that was really bad. Yeah, and then um, the other thing with the silence posters, they had all of their executives, like they had a whole bunch of guys in suits and they're like, you know, McClure, the CEO of silence. And he, he believes in silence. Well, of course he does. He's the effing CEO. Well, um, he, he quit told- like a year later. I'm pretty he sure. Did Let's totally not talk about that. He didn't believe that much you know? <laughs> after the bl- sweet blackberry money rolled in. Uh, so.
2: So I, I guess we should ask... talk about the news. Blackfest, oh, oh, sorry. Hold on, Blackfest
1: ask... just said silence because nothing Blackberry owned ever.
7: <laughs> How's your you roller know? skating game? Me. It's so if, if you saw the halftime show, yeah, the it was skating. Usher, he was amazing. I'll but the they had skate. they had it on roller skates, like the old four wheeled roller. That skates. That was pretty
3: legit, and they were they were pretty good. I was like, mm, um, all right, I'll give you this. Like I'm, I'm Usher and roller like, skates—that's next level Usher dancing.
1: It was I'm thinking good. like Solar Babies and Usher. Like I don't know if that's a too weird of an '80s movie reference, but um, yeah,
2: it is. All right, let's do the news. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, now that we're done, <laughs>
1: who wants to pick the first article? Audience I mean,
6: we already said Avanti.
2: We're, let's just let's do on. that one. Go
1: to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
2: got so made it off fast. Basically, for those that don't know, Avanti Connect Secure, our favorite VPN, now has another vulnerability that's being chained with the previous ones. Ivanti recently, I think, took a lot of press because we talked about it last week, but SZA said, unplug your Ivanti devices. They did not say patch them. They just said, either patch them or turn them off. Holy shit. I actually agree with SZA on something. Wow. Well, we talked about it last week, and we didn't have any of like the people who actually knew what they were talking about, which I guess is like, somewhat That's normal, our whole stick. Yeah, but it, I guess John and Kelly, one of the things that was brought up is like, does SZA even have the ability to say that? Like, we kind of, like, went down a rabbit hole. Apparently, they do have executive authority to do that somehow. But, yeah, yeah they're just, like, unplug it. Basically, you know, exploit it in the wild, the standard thing. I think it's it's all pretty standard. We, we talk about this all the time. But It's, it's when the eye of When one vulnerability happens in a product, it's so common to see a chain of vulnerabilities come after that. Like, it happened with the print spooler in Windows. And now, yep. here we are. It's happening with Ivanti. So, that's why SZA is like, cut it.
1: And that's really, that's really, really typical, right? Like we talked about this in Java, we talk about this in Flash, we talk about this in Fortinet, talk about this with almost any of these different vendors. And as soon as you start seeing these class vulnerabilities come out, it's like a dinner bell for every hacker that's out there because they know that there's a, there's a strong possibility that those poor coding practices are going to persist and not just that thing. And that's really consistent in the industry. Well, the question I want to ask you—maybe talked about this last week—are we just going to go with the Vanti sucks, or is it just they're the ones that are getting analyzed right now?
3: The ones getting I think analyzed a little is... of both. I don't think they suck. It's, we, we've seen this happen over and over again. Like once one person gets a once they get a vulnerability, the I have Sauron turns on them, just goes, "All right, show us all your weaknesses," and bam, they get popped. It's 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 the tale as end is time as we've seen in cybersecurity. i'm surprised there isn't a framework about it It's once you get popped about like there's this level of vulnerability that you have to completely reevaluate your code and go do something there probably is and i just don't know about it because that's not my thing but it's i don't think they're that bad i i I, I haven't heard of anything with like gnarly pulse secure or avanti anytime before this like i can't remember one but so okay so
1: shadow ninja 85 brought up so is FortiGet actually less secure are they more diligent on internal red teaming. I don't know, there was a lot of vulnerabilities in Fortinet appliances for a while. And I oh. think that one of the problems, especially whenever you're looking at like Fortinet as a company is they have a tremendous number of different products that are out there. And I, just like Wispo just said, this is one product of several. And whenever you have development shops in most organizations, security organizations included, you have this big push to get new technologies out and they really don't backfill and try to secure those things as well as they possibly should, because you just get this huge product line footprint that becomes incredibly unmanageable. And it, I mean, we saw it with FireEye uh, years ago before they got bought up by Mandiant, or I don't know who bought who in that situation. But FireEye, underneath the hood, was QMU as a virtualization hypervisor. And we were seeing vulnerabilities showing up in Cumu, And then shortly thereafter, you would see the same types of vulnerabilities that would show up in FireEye. Um, and this is a long time ago. But it once again goes to that technology footprint and how many products they're actually trying to maintain with those things. And, you know, Andrew, kind of want to throw this your way. I, I think the thing I, I, I want to get, a, I, I have this vision in my head. That anytime these vendors start getting these vulnerabilities, be it Java, be it Flash, be it Fortinet, be it Avanti, be it whoever, I always have this vision of like cloud providers like laughing nervously in the corner, like you know what's what's his name in the Simpsons, um, danger, like because they just keep rolling this stuff out so quickly. Yeah, this this one is particularly interesting
4: and concerning, I think, because uh, the the write up actually says. That they were able to execute arbitrary code via a Saml bypass. That, <laughs> that just that chain of things uh, for me is very very concerning in so many ways. It's like what what the heck third party library is that client running that allows a command injection via a Saml flow? It's like, definitely Java calling it. What's going on? In there. And also that's just not a very common set of like you you see all to all, all the time like certificate verification problems. You see all these other things with SAML where they're just not doing the right things from a protocol perspective. But like what the heck thing is allowing you to escape an actual SAML flow into a unprivileged user and then get to other arbitrary
1: things on the same system. But that that tells me they didn't purchase any or they didn't use any like development kits for SAML, right? Like they literally were like, hey, let's just write this thing from scratch. How bad could that be? (laughs) And, you know, we've been seeing that for years. Speaking of people that have seen that for years longer than I have, Jay, you want to talk a little bit about, you know, companies trying to like home grow? Because seriously, if Avanti could blame a different third party vendor for their SAML implementation, they would. Like they would absolutely be doing that. They decided that they were gonna roll it homegrown. And Jay, I was wondering if you had any stories or any background on companies trying to like roll their own code whenever they really should just be using a library that's available to them.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's uh anybody, anybody here who's been testing web apps would say that you constantly find uh, you constantly find vulns when they wrote something that they just should have used and out that they should use library for cross-site scripting it's you know cross-site scripting and SQL injection used to be a lot more popular and cross-site scripting still out there but you know they used to be a lot more popular before finally most companies started you know most developers started using libraries that you know, took care of output encoding for you and um, stopped trying to roll their own. But everybody's going to roll their own crypto forever. Everyone's going to roll their own XML parsing. Everyone's going to roll their own JSON parsing. I do want to say for this specific bone, how is it that I got from one context to another? the The issue is like this is an XXE in um, in XML, and the hard part, you know, it's one of those wonderful uh, it's one of those wonderful features you could have to your parsing where. You can say, I'm going to have an external, I'm going to have an external entity definition that's, uh, but just, you know, instead of, instead of putting in this text, I'm just going to make things easy myself and say, go pull it out from the internet. Mm-hmm. And, and so instead of pulling code out from the internet and running it, in this case, you're saying, go pull this from the internet and the, what you should pull similar to like an image tag, the, what you should pull is this other link on the same device. So the it's they call it like confused deputy. It's where you know, as an attack, you know, as an attacker, you're telling you're telling this thing, hey, I'm going to give you some XML, and when you go to parse it, that'll cause you to hit links. If one of those links is turns it to be an action, um, then now I've gotten you to take that action that I'm not allowed to take.
2: I'm actually gonna my hot take on this is that. I think part of the problem with these types of devices is that they haven't done a good enough job of putting them in the hands of bug hunters. Like, So mm. bug bounties are great, right? Because I can just publicly search for bugs and find them and get them fixed. This is what all the big tech companies use and rely on, in addition to other security things. But with these paid products, I think there's it's in the manufacturer's best interest to be able to get licenses to these people. Because I genuinely do think part of what happens here is you have exploit in a device that opens up access to lots of people who previously never had access to this device. So like as a, you know, fake APT that I am, now I have access to Pulse Secure for the first time because I just rooted one of them. I'm going to start looking around. I'm going to start like, is there persistence mechanisms I can take advantage of? Is there, you know, privilege elevations or what can I get out of it? This might be my first time or my threat group's first time ever digging into this. And that's going to lead to more and more vulnerabilities. So I think that's part of it is like, that's another reason we see these follow-on vulnerabilities because a bunch of people who are good at finding bugs are now getting access to this via illicit means and they're finding more stuff. In addition to the security researchers are focusing on it and the company themselves is focusing on it. So I think that's part of it is like, I don't know what exactly the licensing would look like, but you need to give people access to your stuff so they can find bugs. Because if I have to pay, you know, how, I don't know how much it costs, I'm assuming thousands of dollars, to access the VPN, to look for bugs in it, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to be like, okay, I'll just go look at OpenVPN instead. So I so. want to ask a question to everybody,
1: though. You know, one of the things we hear a lot of organizations talk about specifically in like the C-O show levels is there they attend all these talks about supply chain and all this garbage, and they're like, I need a, I I need a, a bill of materials like whenever you're going through and you're saying we have a product, what are all the open source licenses? What are all the different libraries that you're using? And many organizations look at that as though it is a um, as though it is a problem to have lots of open source software part of your commercial product that you're selling. Is it, or is it more terrifying when a company is like, no, 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 we we rolled that all on our own? By the way, Jay just put in Discord a really cool link um, with VPN issues, um, so be sure to check that out. With Avanti's VPN, so be sure to click on that link because you can totally trust links from anyone on this show. I do, so I don't know. What do you guys think? Like, inf- like an infosec bill of materials would that have helped this, or would that have not? Because I, I really personally think that they're of limited utility. But yeah, I'd like to hear what you all think of that.
6: I honestly don't think that this would have that would have helped in this instance. Yeah, I think the bill of materials helps a lot more from a standpoint of are we vulnerable to xyz vulnerability that has just been announced out there for instance a log4j how many people didn't know that log4j was that that was going to be part of what they've got sitting there oh we've got this and this and didn't realize that that library that system was set up inside of there that's where the s bomb comes in a little bit more into play i believe as opposed to we're going to get this we're not going to get this because I think almost every company out there is using some open source software in some fashion or mm-hmm. some open source library in some fashion.
1: Okay, cool. And, and tire fire whose name I absolutely love. I'm going to party with that guy um, said S bomb solves a different problem, but it may solve a different problem. I would definitely agree with that. But I think that a lot of executives think that it would have solved this problem, which I don't, I agree. I don't think it would have, but anybody else have a take on that too?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I've got, I don't want to be too outspoken on this issue. I just, this is the one I did my homework on. <laughs> so I'm kind of, um, uh, I think bomb might actually be a little helpful here. Not, I don't think for all of us that are, you know, for all the companies out there that are running Avanti necessarily, but for anybody doing research, uh, I know that, so there are five, you know, this is the fifth um, vulnerability in Avanti. And um, for all of these, you kind of have to chain two of them together to get anywhere, but, um, this is the fifth one, and in reading about the five, one of them there was a kind of a whole brouhaha because it turned out that that vulnerability there was complaints like, "Hey, you're giving this this CVE new vuln, um, but actually it's being caused by this component, and that component already has a CVE for this phone." And and I so I got to think, you know, like maybe when the first vulnerability comes out in the Avanti VPN or in the Fortinet VPN or whatever. S bombs not as useful, but once a vulnerability's come out and the attackers have started to turn the eye of Sauron over to you know over to Ivanti now or over to um, a given piece of software, I think if there's an S bomb, it's actually useful. I mean, it's useful for the attackers, it's useful for all the researchers, for all the people, you know, for all of us, whether we're on attack or defense. You know, we're all out here on Twitter or what have you. Uh, trying to catch up to where the zero day you know to where the to where the uh the the creators of the exploits um are already at and in our catch up we're learning all this stuff about oh well that's you know and i i think that in that catch up we can actually start to get a little ahead of them if we're going to look at an s bomb and say oh first it's using these you know it's using these libraries is there anything that's been found in those libraries already um, are there um, you know, heck, let's get a whole, let's get ahead of them, find the vulnerabilities before they get a, start getting exploited zero day and publish. Um, so that's my take. Thanks. So
2: I also right, I got, feel, well,
1: oh, I've got a, I've got a, one more question. I want to roll on that, Corey, and then I'm going to kick it over to you. All right. You're now the CISO of Avanti. What the hell do you do? Uh-oh, you're, you're asking, asking me? Corey, or Jay? What I'm asking is just an open <laughs> no, question to oh, everybody. Oh, good, good. That's, You're that's the CISO of Avanti. Resume, like, what the hell do you do?
5: Uh-huh start networking on linkedin like, <laughs> oh, shit,
2: shit. you have a golden parachute Put your head between fine. your
6: legs and kiss your butt goodbye um
2: would, well so i, I mean hire a that, better that's, red team that's where i was gonna go with this is like okay so this has got to be the worst acquisition in avanti history <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i mean I, like i'm I, the joke i was gonna make is like do you think the executives that signed off on it still got their bonuses right but like I think this is like a question of due diligence, and we come, we have pen testing customers come to us a lot and say we're doing M and A or we're doing, you know, we're going to acquire this product or whatever. We want you to test it and make sure it's not full of holes. So I guess my question is, from Avanti's perspective, when they bought this product, do you think they did any due diligence testing? Did they find, Did they know these holes were there and say, oh, these are accepted risks, or did they just say, uh oh, no, it's it's moved under our you know product brand and we're not going to touch it anymore?
5: I can't imagine that there would be any kind of actual like paper trail that would say that they were having an RCE as an accepted risk. That would be amazing. That'd be a story in itself.
4: Just uh, just to go back for a minute to John's question about, like, does open source make this better or worse? I think the answer is it doesn't necessarily make it better or worse because I've audited projects where the open source implementation of SAML or OIDC just like doesn't verify a cipher or if you have this specific implementation of this Python library, it will just fail open. So in in many cases on both sides, implementing it on your own or using open source, we don't really have inside-out testing today for identity stuff that's applied consistently that you could use even for a report like that. And that is the part that's lacking.
1: And Andrew, this is predominantly for Andrew and Jay, Um, would a code analysis like DAST or STAST tool would have helped deal with these particular vulnerabilities? I've gone through the ones that have been released, and a lot of people are like, how would a company actually deal with this on the ground? So if you would have had the right plugins in your development libraries or your right audit uh, tools to be able to audit the source code of your products, would it have helped with these vulnerabilities?
4: It's not even a a SAST or DAST question, I think at a primitive level, it's even just an outside-in testing issue. Like go back to primitive synthetics test type stuff. Does it work? Does it fail when we expect it to fail? Does it uh, secure when we expect it to secure? And we can throw all the other stuff out the window on like the crypto verification side. Uh, Curious to hear what other folks think.
0: Jay, you've you've
4: you've
1: dug around in these exploits and you've written auditing tools. So what are your thoughts? Do you think, because like I said, I'm trying to look at this from a CISO's perspective. And one of the things I would do as a CISO is like full stop, we're going to go through, we're going to audit all of our code. Um, We're just going to do static analysis starting there. We're going to simultaneously ramp up a bunch of red teams, give them full access to all of our source code and get them live action production access to our servers to do this as fast as they possibly can. But we're going to be doing these two things in parallel. If I was CISO, if you're a CISO and you're listening to this, something like this happens. If you're from Avanti, hi, I'm a random person on the internet that you should probably (laughs) listen to or not. Honestly, I don't care. Um, But you should be hiring a red team, a damn good red team. You should be doing a code audit all the way, beginning all the way through the end with them reporting all the way back up to you. But you, you, you need to be doing simultaneous red teaming with the red team getting full access to all effing source code right now yeah. and your internal shop does it. But I go back to the question for Jay. For these vulnerabilities, you've looked at them. You've got the GitHub repository. Do you think like a, like a static analysis or dynamic analysis tool would have helped with any of these vulnerabilities? Because like you said, many of them, I think Andrew said, you have to chain two of them together to gain access. Do you think it would have helped?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, honestly, I, I do think it would have. And I think that that's the question, you know, the question for Ivanti right now, um, is, you know, like, a- as we said, like they bought, you know, they, they bought this tool, they have bought a whole bunch of other things. You know, we have a, we have a client right now, um, who is, uh, who actually just hired us on our, on security architecture review to, to help give advice on a different Avanti tool that isn't a VPN. And, um, so in my mind, you know, I, I do exactly that. so first, yes, I think Sast and Dast would help. Can you guarantee that Sast and Dast catches everything? No, but that's no, why no, the no. that's okay. why that was a great example of, you know, get a red team, you know, get a red team going immediately. Like get a red team in um, and also get your SAST and DAST work going. And of course, the hard part, and I'm sure there's someone over there is thinking about this because it's been a, you know, it's been Uh, more than a month of finding these vulnerabilities. Um, And, you know, Avanti sounds stretched a little thin, to be honest, Um, because, you know, when I, when I was reading all of the, when I was reading up on each of the vulnerabilities as they were found, um, you know, initially Avanti said, you know, we're working on patches. Um, Here's some mitigations and workarounds, by the way, you know, expect the patches to take a little bit, but we're going to try to, we're going to try to create the patches for the for the uh, for the appliance versions that have the you know that have the greatest number of users first so they're having to they're really Ooh, it's really taken them a, a while to create all these of, patches they really don't seem to have the resources
2: yeah. well I have a, I have a transcript here from the Super Bowl ad for Avanti next year uh they're huh. saying the first organization to ever make SZA turn off the entire product <laughs> that's awesome' pushing Are new ground we're breaking. As far as I know, I don't. I don't. I've I don't never. Know. That's unprecedented that I am aware of. I've never heard of Sisa being like, turn it off now. So I
1: I do know not Sisa. This predates Sisa, but I know a long time ago there were Cisco uh, networking devices. This would have been two thousand four or five, I think. And there were specific serial numbers we had to go through when, when I was working in classified realm. We had to go through and find those serial numbers because they believed that they had already been backdoored, and they were like, shut these things down even if they're in ops, even if they're in production, they need to be shut down immediately. That wasn't CISA. That was like a DOD. Was that public though, John? Um, I can try to hunt it down. CJ might know because he was there at the same time, but that might've been a DISA directive um, at that point. And I also know that DISA and the NSA, they have the approved low risk software list, which that's one thing, but they also have high risk like there's certain software like you're not going to get Kaspersky in. So there are situations where software does end up on the naughty list and has to get ripped out relatively quickly, or you need some type of plan of action and milestones for transitioning it out of your environment. Yeah, but
2: this is an emergency directive. I don't think, at least since we've been doing the news, we've never talked about this level. No, Um, I agree. The last thing I want to say on this, Riza, we got to highlight his job posting for the CISO at uh, Avanti, um, as, as is tradition on the show. We have a uh, job posting for a chief information security officer able to do minimal due diligence testing, five plus years of experience in accepting things as they are, and one day of experience with co- code analysis, 500k Live. a year. <laughs> That's pretty low, plus bonuses, plus like 1.5 in stock and whatever else.
1: Yeah, this goes back to whoever whoever took that role, especially whenever they bought the, uh, the company's without doing due diligence on those companies like you know there wasn't due diligence like due diligence if you're acquiring a company you should demand a code audit you should demand network thread hunting to see if that intellectual property is already being kicked out but a lot of the companies that we work with that are trying to do mergers and acquisitions due diligence they're like ah oh, but all that seems to take time and that seems like that's going to cost us money and we want their product right now <laughs> and your company <laughs> we just want our going. stock go
2: up yeah. we need new yacht yeah,
1: I mean, so I, yeah. it's I'm like it's like so. Faruka's salt and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And then, you know, she gets sucked up into a <laughs> tube and they are like, how did this happen? The suspense this is, like, is killing me. I hope it'll Shut last. down the Chocolate Factory right now. <laughs> yeah, shut down the Chocolate Factory. Well, do we well, want I mean, to pick think on the... another... Does anybody have any final point or can we pick on another company? And once again, nothing but love for the people that are in the trenches at Avanti, nothing but love for the CISO that's probably having to deal with not, get, not enough resources and getting blamed for all if of this. If you got
2: laid off from Avanti and this is why and you complained about this, please come on the show. Share yeah, we'd love experience. to talk to you. Um, so. we, we will use a voice changer in the Snapchat filter so no one can see you or hear you, but it'll be fine. <laughs> all right. All right. All right, what's the next story we
1: want to talk about here, folks? Pick one. Do we want to talk? We about, can talk about the job data... board thing. If you want, okay, go for
2: it. This so essentially this is kind of a I don't know the way I see it it's kind of a sea change or I don't know what you want to call it it's basically a new sort of information gathering technique um, specifically targeting job boards and this actually crossed my radar in the data breach space someone a couple months ago posted a bunch of job boards specifically targeting Israeli job boards um, you can imagine why that was but. So this is kind of something I've seen before, but never seen publicly talked about. Um, This news article specifically is talking about, um, basically, they're exploiting vulnerabilities, SQL injections, other attacks against job posting websites, and stealing people's, you know, resumes and other things, and then posting them in Telegram channels. So (laughs) and and the thing is, like, it kind of, I guess this is an open question for the group. How much PII do you put in your resume? Because I don't put... I mean, some I, people put their addresses, Email, I That's, it. Yeah. Email, that's it. Email, that's it. That's what I
3: tell everybody. Only email. Re- the resumes, Make-
1: I see it's emails, it's addresses, it's yeah, addresses. Uh, phone numbers. Phone numbers.
5: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's address PII, I mean, I'm pretty sure you could find my address. Yes. Yeah. I is. would yeah. put it in there. I mean, but I don't PII.
1: think, like for me, I looked at this and I looked at it in a completely different way. Like last week I was doing the intro to SOC course skills. And we were doing this job posting thing. And Jason does this amazing thing where like you go to LinkedIn, you find the job you want, you find the skills that that job requires and the technologies. And then you try to build your resume to match that as much as you possibly can ethically. I took it a step further in class and I can't remember the name of the company. Maybe someone that was in my classes on the news. But I basically just said did some basic Google hacking where it was like site colon name dot com. And then minus WWW, minus investors, minus this, minus that. And after about four minutes, we had found out that they used F5. We found out that they were a Fortinet shop because we saw the VPNs. We saw all these different things all the way down to like the login page for their F5 appliance that we were able to find hadn't been updated since 2017. And it was very interesting to me how like we kind of walked through going to job postings on monsters, monster.com and things like that. Where don't just look at the job posting for security. Look at the other tech jobs. Stars. There we go. It was stars, and um, and look at these other job postings to learn the technology profile. All of that is straight out of Recon One Hundred and One, like
2: hacking.
3: Like
1: that. Oh, yeah, but
2: these are candidates. Pretty- These are candidates.
1: Yeah, the the resumes for those candidates will say, "I have previously worked at X company with following." Oh, doing. I see.
2: I see. So you're saying I go, I download this data, I look for references to my target company, and see what they did in their previous job. I mean, yes. that's like that's. I kind of want to do that, that now. I had never thought of that. Let me yeah, go down.
3: That was my, that was my first thought. My other thought was using this to build resumes to then <laughs> for fake individuals to then you build resumes. All right, what is everybody have experiencing? Okay. What are the best resumes look like? Right when I apply, I want to be clearly better than everybody else. So when they hire me, and now as like an insider threat type of deal.
7: The best uh, resumes have mustaches.
8: <laughs> <Thank you>. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, and, it, and I think one of the other things to expand on is that it seems like it's not just they stole resumes, they compromised a resume hosting site. So, in, in multiple, some instances, yeah. they were able to get admin access on some of the compromised sites. So, while we had that question of like how much PII do you put on your resume, that might be a small subset, but the PII that you're giving in the job board for, okay. So if somebody does want to apply, contact you, yeah. apply and we have this middle man, middle, we're, we're the middle man here. Um, you know, what email does that go to? And that might it's be bad. information that is okay. Now you have internal phone numbers, you have, uh, of, you know, hiring companies or you have the, look, I'm not sharing my email or phone number with anybody looking for, you know, to hire me, but Hey, it's, it's, this website can be a middle um, negotiator for that. Yeah, so this is,
2: you're right. It's so much worse than we outlined with the resume. Like some jobs, when you apply, they require you to give an SSN or like they require you to do a credit check. Like, I mean, I will say this article specifically talks about more resources in like Asia Pacific area, but we've personally seen like looking through data breaches for our customers, almost all of our customers have job posting websites. Like they use third-party providers usually, and they will not enforce MFA for these things. So, like, they don't just, care. They don't care. They're just random yeah. candidates. But like, yeah. you sign into as the job as the candidate, and you have access to their previous application, and then you know it has all the information they submitted with their application. Like that, it's another level of like, well, job hunting sucks. Well, now it sucks even more. But this, now the, really,
1: this is something that <laughs> we dealt with kind of in a different angle at Black Hills. Like, you know, we have customers all the all the time that are like we're going to need a background check investigation for the testers that are going to be doing the assessment right and one of the things that we've been kind of doing lately that that works is whenever these companies are like yeah we're going to need social security number date of birth local address for all of your testers that are going to be working this engagement and CJ started doing this crazy thing because we're like SOC2 2, type 2 compliant and he's like that's great Before I send that information to you, I need to make sure that I'm transmitting it secure. How are we going to do that? Number two, I need to know who's handling that data. Number three, I need to make sure that those people have had a background check investigation. And number four, I need to see your policies and procedures for handling that PII for our testers and PHI in some situations in your internal organization. And like, I would say for half the time, the customers are like, no, we're good.
2: Yeah, I, it's I think, like never well, answer a lawyer with a without a question, or always answer a lawyer with another question. Yeah, <laughs> or just, you, just keep
1: them going. It's like or you just want say to I do don't it remember. Great. Well, this, if, if we're going to be giving you our sensitive information for our testers, I want you to. Have, and we do have customers, by the way, that have all of that stuff locked down. They've got great like procedures, and we'll happily do that. But we've had some customers that literally go through customers be like, BHIS is so hard to work with that. They literally are just like, yeah, I can kind of see the hypocrisy of this. Like we want you to do all of this, but we're not doing any of those things to protect this data. So it's getting better, but it's just so many organizations just do not care about like the the people that they're interviewing and the information that they give.
4: I mean, just just imagine, God forbid, that this recruit includes recruiter notes. On the initial oh screen. Oh, you man. know, we, we outsource a lot of these initial screenings. I, I don't mean we as in like the company I work for or anything, but as an industry, a lot of us yeah. outsource initial screening and recruiters do put in notes on why candidates do pass fail, etc. If that is part of the data set, that is insane um to it's have also, leaked.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, there there's there's so first there's There's now more privacy stuff that's going to get out if somebody told a recruiter something that they wouldn't, that they wouldn't have put in writing. Um, And also the company using that, you know, using the screening recruiters that have the recruiter notes, man, the liability for anybody they didn't hire just went up. Uh, Mm -hmm. Heck, maybe the liability for the people they did hire. John, I I love your approach there. I love the like, oh, you want to background check us? We're going to need to background check you too. (laughs) <laughs> Jay, we were talking, I think, well, we talked briefly, you, me,
1: and Mike talking about CREST certification and all these certifications in the industry. And there's a ton of them, like I said, SOC 2, type 2, like, I think Renner just said, just to ensure your SOC 2, type 2 report includes hiring practice background checks, which means that all of your SOC 2, type 2 report with ex- without exceptions is effectively third party validation of all staff past background check and all of that. So, This gets into this weird thing where you want us to have this level of security as a company, and I agree. I think that we should have that, right? We needed that, but it's gotta be fair, right? You can't ask me to be SOC 2 Type 2 as a pen testing firm and then have me immediately violate my SOC 2 Type 2 for third party. You just, you can't have your cake and eat it too. And I would say, like I said, 98% of the time the customers totally get that. They're like, legit questions, good points, yeah. (laughs) And then I love it when they come to us and like, do you have any policies, templates that we can use on this? It's like, oh, God. And we totally do. We totally will share it with them. Uh, Is SOC 2
2: type 2 genetic? It sounds like it, right? It sounds like some
1: type of disease, which it totally is. It's basically the accounting industry imposing (laughs) security standards on the industry. And it got picked up. And I do want to create, Kelly, I'm talking to you. I do want to create a security policy framework for accounting firms. Since they were so nice to us with SOC 2 (laughs) type, we should do the same to them and say these are the security requirements for accounting firms everywhere.
7: I like it, John.
4: I I do wonder, and and this is a question maybe for the folks that are more on the compliance and legal side, is there a governance framework beyond just like CCPA and GDPR that governs the deletion or automatic expiry of data inside of these
1: candidate systems? Holy hell.
7: Yes. Um, there are a ton of governance frameworks that a lot of people just don't talk about. There's there's <laughs> specific data governance frameworks. There's governance frameworks for IT. There's governance frameworks for security. There's governance frameworks for organizations as a whole. Um, but they've become very industry-specific or they're siloed. Um, there's an organization called ARMA that does a lot with records retention and they've got their own data governance framework, but the American Association of CPAs, they've also come out with a data protection framework. So honestly, Andrew, you probably don't want to answer that question.
4: But like legally as a candidate, like if, I, if I'm if i job shopping, let's say hypothetically, and I apply through one of these clearinghouses for jobs how long can I expect that my information lives in that system if I do nothing until they get their payout? I just got hit up by CrowdStrike.
3: (laughs) I got hit up by CrowdStrike and I applied like seven years ago.
7: I
1: don't
2: don't think there is a lot lot of information
1: still. I'm sorry. Are you
2: saying you applied for a job seven years ago and they just called you back? Well, it was, the, the, and, it was because
4: he saw the Super Bowl ad and they knew.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> and oh the job God. was like bottom level job, too, which was that also is kind terrifying. of like funny.
2: That is so. so terrifying. The concept of like this company just kept your resume on file for seven years and someone actually read it. Like what? That had to be. A glitch. Let's let's just say it was a fish and move on. Let's talk about <laughs> Linux. Let's let's talk about Linux. Linux is secure. Oh. It's open source. Oh, nothing's God. bad. Everything's fine
1: i got to find this article. Is this the one? So, okay,
2: this is my take on this. So, basically, for those, you know, the people that don't know what we're talking about, there's a shim vulnerability that impacts almost all Linuxes. And the best part is this is Linux's Microsoft moment. And the best, best part is that it was revealed or disclosed by Microsoft security researchers. Yeah. So, and why I say it's their Microsoft moment is because... Essentially, it's like a feature that no one asked for, which is adding HTTP into the bootloader. Does anyone what? know why this is a thing? Like, it, oh, it, has, wow. it has to be in the bootloader because the bootloader has to be able to
4: grab uh, preseed files for various things and then pass those on to second stage. So any automation that's ever worked in ever has to be able to have uh, HTTP as a protocol inside of stage one.
2: Okay, fine. Maybe it's not so Microsoft because it is a feature that sounds somewhat legitimate and that people would use, but it's a, it's been an old grub, uh, too, forever and ever. And in Lilo. Yeah. So there are patches out for this. So TLDR patch your Linux stuff. Um, the exploit conditions are pretty specific. Is that right? Like you need either min in the middle or local access to write EFI. Is that correct? I have no idea. I haven't read this one at all. Anyone else? I was mainly asking Andrew because it sounded like he read it. Yeah, it sounds like he knows. <laughs> I, I love that,
4: that White Cyberduck says Andrew is so smart, but I'm actually not smart. I've just written lots of automations that build Linux systems for training classes I make. And that is the entirety of my understanding here.
1: Well, congratulations.
2: That makes you an expert. Um, yeah, if you're not smart, well, I'm screwed. So um, I, I, I yeah. do
1: want to call out like it, this is being addressed directly by the big vendors, Debian, Red Hat, SUSE, yeah. and Ubuntu, like... Yeah, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be picked up and fixed very, very quickly. I love the CVS score. It was a nine point
2: eight, which is John, did you just say it's gonna be fixed very quickly? I think it I'm will sorry. at least for the
1: vendors that are out there, but then you get into the embedded. But hold device. on, because uh,
2: I have an, I'm still on Ubuntu twelve oh four, dude. Oh dear God. No, I mean I'm just I'm just kidding, but what? Oh. I'm just, no, I'm just kidding. But seriously, like that okay, so this I don't know, I guess this is a, a question for the group, but Is it just me or is patching Linux in like... Because Linux is typically used as like work workhorses, right? They're like, these are like the compute servers. So from my perspective, there's one of two extremes. One, your Linux is deployed and then burned down and then deployed and then burned down like five times a day. Or it's the same box that hasn't been touched since like 1993. And if you touch it, everyone, you know, the guy retired that used to maintain it. So you can't touch it. I don't know. So
4: what I want to know is in a stage one exploit, if you're retrieving something via HTTP, how do you initialize networking? Because like generally in stage one, you don't have IP stuff yet. I think it's like, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I mean, stage one of a
0: bootloader is usually really tiny.
4: Yeah, it's a shim. Tiny, tiny shim. So are they are yeah. so, they actually putting yeah. a patch in there that's initializing a full network yeah. stack and getting an IP address? And it looks then to me like stuff.
1: HTTP boot. It looks to me right. like HTTP like, boot is in that, that stage one, though.
5: So I used to yeah. manage a, a bunch of Linux machines that run a cluster, and we used TFTP to boot the system. So it reads kind of like that, right? That, that, you know, all the nodes. So if you're booting off of HTTP, then the attacker would have to man in the middle of that traffic to theoretically send you know, the, the payloads. And, and so it seems like that, even though it has a, a high score, it seems like that the use cases for this are kind of, you know, I wouldn't say limited, but it's not like it's remote code over the internet and you break in. Right.
2: Correct. So, yeah. It's local or MITM. Yeah. So here's Eclipsium.
1: Here's what Eclipsium went through. And by the way, shout out to Eclipsium and Paul Zadorian, who's at Eclipsium in a hypothetical attack scenario. The threat actor on the same network could leverage the flaw to load a vulnerable shim bootloader, or by local advisory with adequate privileges manipulate the data on the EFI partition. Which, if you're manipulating data on the EFI partition, you're effed anyway. It's <laughs> you know you're, you're you're done. An attacker could perform man-in-the-middle attack and the intercept the HTTP traffic between the victim and the HTTP server are used to serve the files to support HTTP boot. The attacker could be located on any network segment between the victim and the legitimate server, but I'm willing to bet the more useful scenario would be layer two. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I'm not going to... This is not something that's remotely exploitable yet. You definitely have to be on the exact same network layer two or somewhere in between the HTTP the boot server. I, I this is This is neat, but I'm not going to freak out over it. Like, I'm going through this... Once again, if the attacker is sitting on that local network with you, right, if they're on the same network, something catastrophically bad has happened. Now, I'm not saying don't panic. I'm saying let's be very calm. Let's be very collected. Let's get our stuff patched. We're going to do that. But I don't think we should look at this and be like, oh, my God, you know, Linux is complete garbage. They have this critical vulnerability and we shouldn't be running Linux because we can go over link local multicast name resolution, NetBIOS name services, MDNS. There's tons of things that you can do at Layer 2. Yersnia, Loki-style attacks, um, just tons of tools out there. This is just going to be another type of attack vector once you're on that network segment for Linux systems that reboot. Or hell, you know, if you get access to a Linux system with root-level privileges to write to the EFI partition, I guess the world's your oyster, Oh, but you don't PXE call... boot on the internet, John?
2: No, I try not to. Oh, <laughs> I tried to give that up a Stopped while ago. That last week. So, okay, and there's a little bit of confusion. I don't know if anyone knows. We might just be making things up, but PXE doesn't use HTTP, does it?
1: No, no, no. This sounds. I like think it uses TFTP, doesn't it?
6: It's it's yeah, in the it, same Pixi, category. Pixie
4: uses TFTP, but uh, I think this is this in particular is a good uh, rubber ducky or Flipper Zero kind of attack. If you can trick something into rebooting. And then you can control the arguments to the bootloader. And a lot of people, mm. believe it or not, to this day still don't protect their bootloaders. Not encrypted, on a, right? Yeah. You do full
2: full yeah. disk encryption, but the bootloader is unprotected. Yep. Yeah.
4: so you can still pass it. But I mean, if you're still if you're doing full disk encryption on the boot volume, all you've done is you've given over potential control of that endpoint to an attacker. Right.
1: But that but that pixie boot attack, if network boot is enabled on devices, you can run that pixie boot attack, and you can basically push your own image. Uh, via TFTP and push Kali instances to those systems, gain access to the hard drive. This has been an attack methodology that's been out there for a long time. It's very rarely, if ever, used. Like, I know of zero actual attacks in the wild that were using it. And I could be wrong. I mean, I don't see the millions of attacks that are out there on the well, internet. But yeah. even pen testing, how often do we take advantage of Pixie Boot? And there's some very good reasons why we don't. Yeah that like, that
2: goes in the that goes yeah. in the list of the webcasts we were going to do of things we're not allowed to do during. A yeah, pen don't test. do this. <laughs> like, Most yeah, definitely. But, so okay, what you're saying, John, is that it's not the year of the Linux desktop because it seems like the main way to exploit this would oh, be it, it would be if you were actually running this, like Andrew said, on a client device. If if your laptop got stolen, and this. You know, if you're running Linux on your laptop or whatever, and it got stolen, and so someone now can fully compromise the system. So that's the scary they, part of but it. But they can't if it's actually encrypted hard drive encryption. It, you can still pixie boot, but
1: you're not going to get access to that encrypted hard drive. And once again, I think one of the main reasons why we don't do this, and this is kind of what you were getting at too, Corey, is we don't do this because there's a very strong possibility that you will smoke a network device or something on that same network in a way that you don't want to bring that down. It's kind of like a type of attack that has uncontrolled consequences. It's like with Responder, whenever you fire up Responder, WPAD is off by default for web proxy auto detection attacks. Not because it's, it's a crappy attack or it doesn't work. It's off by default because it's so effing effective that it'll bring entire enterprises to their knees. So it's off by default for very good reason. So this type of attack, well, I agree. It's absolutely we got to we got to patch it. We've got to fix it. Agreed, one hundred and ten percent. But you shouldn't be up until two o'clock in the morning trying to patch your, your crap tonight. Like
2: John, if honest. I can write uh, if I can write a malicious bootkit, I can get your full disk encryption password. Hundred percent. Yes. Like, oh, just keep that in mind, because if I if the, I can deploy you know, a bootkit to your the type system, of
1: encryption that you're using and how that key is implemented on the data on the hard no card. no,
2: I'll just deploy so, a bootkit that harvests your key. That's my full, thing.
4: Full disk encryption aside, I think about this much uh, much more as like a kiosk attack. Like if if I walk up to a sure. cool display on like the promenade in Las Vegas and it happens to be running Linux and it happens to have a USB port, I could gain access to to plug in a rubber ducky or something. I could take over that kiosk relatively effectively with a totally controlled by me image of right. something through through stage
0: one. And but that, as long as we're in Vegas, cool. as long as we're in Vegas looking at these kiosks, I'm going to give, I hope you'll give me odds here. But I think eight times out of 10, it's not going to be set up with a secure boot in the first place.
2: Probably you, you know, could just it write the, you we'll could write have the encrypted the image hard drive. to the
4: disk. Well, sure, yeah. sure. We could all acknowledge that it's if it's a kiosk, it's probably not even UEFI. But
1: yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> probably not. But, yeah, I mean, I, if, I think if it's an airport,
4: yeah. it's Windows. You know, there's there's a bunch of different scenarios for this. But um... the shooters
5: just said, <laughs> yeah. "Does
1: this kiosk look like a giant globe?"
5: Can't wait to that <laughs> thing <laughs> it's a kiosk. on the news, right?
1: Yeah, <laughs> no, I awesome. think I, I, I want to say guys Def Con and Black Hat this year, like. I If I was running that globe, I would, you know, it, I, I don't think it's going to get compromised, but I can totally see it. Oh, it was up last year, globe. and the joke,
2: yeah, it was there yeah, do, like, last year, the and the joke.
1: Screen of death,
2: you yeah, know. everyone kept joking that, oh, it's not working because hackers, but like, as far as I know, that was all just rumor. I don't think that Holy was. Holy
1: hell, do we want to talk about the Flipper Zero since uh, we're talking about this stuff? Yeah, we Canon? should talk I mean? about it,
2: yeah.
0: Wait, oh, I, thought I thought Silent Order Night flip- threw yeah. a great link in for uh, um, defeating, defeating uh, BitLocker encryption or for that matter, probably Linux encryption, uh, uh, oldest, oldest encryption where the decryption keys on the TPM. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Can we pop the link up?
1: There we go. This is the link for flipper zero, man.
2: Okay. Oh, we, well, Jay, we zero. kind of pivoted to the Flipper flippers. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I but we that. can come back to I'll that be the slow. So, yeah. So basically for those, you know, the, uh, for the Canadians that aren't in the room, um, yeah, Canada's <laughs> banning It is banning. I think it's, it did I, ban I think it's yeah, it did ban, like I think it's done as far as I know, like it is banned, supposedly because of car theft, I guess car theft is really bad, and there's some issues with the penal code in Canada where car theft isn't really seen as a very severe crime, so people are able to just do it again and again without any kind of repercussions but I guess, is this a way to address it? It doesn't feel like it is, but it I mean. It absolutely is. I think this is the right
1: way to do it, <laughs> sarcasm.
5: Ban- banning um, things. Um, I love the quote. About, right? Today,
1: I announced that we are banning the importation sale of consumer hacking devices like Flipper used to commit these crimes. It's like, so there goes Raspberry Pis. Um, there goes everything from Hack 5. No there goes um,
3: notebook
1: keyboard computers. We should stop. Noel Wait, Keever, you can steal Noel a car Keever. with the Ponegachi.
2: Yeah. Does it like get a really big smile on its face? I do face love when how it it does. a Just USB drive. drive. You, you can, can steal a car yeah, with a yeah, USB drive. We're good. You can steal a car Wait, with the goes, screwdriver. Are they going to ban that? Are they going to ban there goes the, what?
6: Steam what? Deck?
3: Hack RF one.
1: <laughs> hack one has got to be. You've got to boards, You've got to ban Edis. You got to ban Hack RF.
0: You got
2: to. Okay, hack but, yeah. okay. I have Man, a question Michael Osmond is going to be crying. Okay, Devil's Advocate. Devil's Advocate. Okay, here's a question I have are the people using flippers to steal cars smart enough to build their own with a Raspberry Pi? Like, is it that, is it, is it like a, is this equipment? You can find anything on eBay. I think that
1: people that are stealing cars are smart enough to work with a group that can replicate that functionality that a flipper zero has. Like you ban the flipper zero. somebody's going to develop another device. That's called totally not a flipper zero. (laughs) And you know, and then they're going to go, it's just, you know, with Canadian, not Canadian, the German Uh, cybercrime law, I I think it's like 302 or 202C, that was basically, you know, banning the import creation, yielding or distribution of tools used in cybercrimes, right? That was the law. And then it got pushed all the way up to the German Federal Constitutional High Court. And they basically said, well, it's tools created with malicious intent. It's like, what the hell? Is this Medin's doll? what is Medin's this medine's
7: that Tim Medine's doll example
1: i don't know maybe does he have a doll that's got a flipper zero shoved up its ass or something i do doll. <laughs> which by the way we need to get that on this yeah, I mean, that's called a store. puppet that's
6: called a puppet yeah. <laughs>
7: <laughs> no, so a um, couple of years ago, Tim Medine had uh, a, a, an animated doll and he actually, the doll was banned in Germany under that same law you're talking about. So one of Tim's favorite tricks is he would put the doll in the middle of a hallway at a big conference center and he would make the doll talk and, and say really scary, naughty things. Oh, and he well, was nowhere to be that, seen. Like, you'd
1: walk by it and it would normally say like, I like, I like you. Give me a look. Instead it would say, teach your children to worship Satan. <laughs> like yes. the the, the <laughs> different mp3 now. audio files i remember this i thought josh wright was involved in this too.
5: yeah it sounds like he could josh have been
1: wright.
5: yeah
0: yeah but- i was trying to i have an esp32 one of the a couple people mentioned the esp32s Um i've got one of
1: those in, in a box next door comments. those are awesome yeah yeah are you so based ESP32- in canada
2: because if so you're committing a crime right now I'm <laughs> I'm not in I'm not that in is Canada. Totally I will an say inconspicuous watch, Jay. Like I go to, I know it's like, very
0: inconspicuous. Who's the hacker watch. here? You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I go to I go to West, um every year, and uh, uh, this last year I had to decide whether to leave my flipper behind. And I, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to go through customs with the flipper with the flipper zero, because um, mm-hmm. law enforcement keeps making uh, all kinds of noises about deciding that flipper zero is the equivalent of lock picks.
1: Um, now, that's so. an interesting thing because aren't there some states? I, I'm not 100% certain, but aren't there some states that have laws that if you have lockpicks, you have to have some type of certification yes. or
8: something yeah. to justify? Yeah. It for you you have to lock. have a license yeah.
2: in Virginia to carry lockpicks, as yeah. an example.
8: And, yeah. And one of the fun things is that you have to be, at least in Wisconsin, you have to be like recognized as a locksmith, but there is no statewide governing body to be a locksmith. And it's just, so, in some cases, it can be like, I just have a card that says I'm a locksmith. And they're like, dude, eh. good enough. We'll call it <laughs> it's like the years wrong years ago.
2: authorization note. I could do
8: what years I want. Years and
1: years ago. Uh, years and years ago, I was going to, I think it was DerbyCon 2. I was flying out to, and I was in JFK in New York City. And I had a full lockpick set, and a crystal and Southard lock. And I had all this stuff because, you know, I was trying to learn lockpicking. And it was something I could do on the airplane that wasn't just like watching TV. I go through customs or not customs. I go through the TSA and someone's like, excuse me, you have a bunch of lockpicks. And I'm like, they're all under the size. They aren't an edge device. They are legal. And he said, do you have any type of license that proves that you need this for your job? I still had my CISSP business card. Like back in the day, ISE squared would give you this little like credit card sized thing. That was your CISSP certification with your name and your certification number on it. And I kept that in my wallet. I totally pulled that out, handed it to him. And I said, hey, I'm a certified information system security professional. And he was basically was like, you're good to go. Thank you very much, sir. And that was it. That was a good enough certification wow. for him at that time.
4: We actually had this happen at Deadwood uh, right after Deadwood. I was flying through the airport with uh, Jeff McJunkin and he had the bag with uh, 40 pounds of locks and picks in them because he was going to Germany. And TSA opened the bag and they said, why do you need this many locks and lock picks? And he just said, because I'm a teacher. And they just looked at him and they were like, "Okay, good enough for us. That was it. Yeah. I, was, I was
0: just going to mention, I was just going to mention Jeff, um, because uh, he sent, I remember on one of his, on one of his flights, he sent a picture of sitting at his, sitting at his seat on the plane with a big, with a, a big pile of, uh, a big pile of master locks, just tons of them in a set of lock picks He's like, this is what I'm doing on the plane too uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you,
1: know. you, if you just heard Jay say that, don't be like Jeff McJunkin. It's cool that Jeff does that, right? But if you think you'll get away with it, you won't. <laughs> ah! Because if somebody comes up to Jeff McJunkin Uh and they're like, excuse me, sir, Jeff will just look at them and immediately they melt. They're like, there's no way this guy is a bad person. He's one of the nicest people you will ever meet in your entire life. And Jeff McJunkin has Jeff McJunkin magical powers you do not have. I know this because I've had pilots literally confiscate my locks mid flight and hand them back to me when I got off the airplane. So, J. We think Jeff, we call it no, JME
3: nowadays. JME, yeah. Jeff McJunkin Energy. Yeah.
1: Jeff McJunkin. There we go. JME. Ah, <laughs> oh,
2: we need a shirt.
1: I Jeff McJunkin Energy. Okay, back yeah. to the flipper nice. thing.
2: I mean, where is this going to go? Like, is it is it going to get struck down? Is there going to be like a Second Amendment? Like, whatever the the National Flipper Association is going to start lobbying the Canadian government. Like, the is this going to gonna get a lot of kickback, or is, yeah. like, are we, are Canadians just going to be like, this is fine, everything's fine? Like, what, what is going to be the, is there a lot of backlash? I have, I don't mean, I don't I, use social I, media, I just,
8: so I've seen some, uh, some clever ridicule of this. With the, it's like, okay, so you can attach a module to it to do something, and somebody literally attached a module that had a bike key on it, and they go, oh look, everybody, you can now use a Flipper Zero to steal a bike, and. Oh, they just taped
1: it on or something. Yeah, they just taped it on. Yeah. It's like,
8: look at this module that allows it to do something. And I think they were making that argument that like adding on non-standard features to you know to the Flipper Zero because it's like even with the uh, the, the Apple BLE spam that was something that you needed that custom firmware and that dev mode to do in order to be able to broadcast on those frequencies. The same for like the car. Uh, replay attacks you need to, it's it's locked by default on the flipper zero you need to unlock that you need to do some additional modifications so i think there was that argument of it's like what amount of modifications now puts the onus on you know the, Alex, the device is bad
1: it goes right back to you can use gnu radio you can use yeah, exactly. RF one you can use an edis board
8: yeah it, they're it, gonna
5: ban the radio waves and the replay of radio waves that's what they're yeah. gonna do that's yep. what
1: they're gonna do that's where we're headed but they have um, rolling codes. This goes back already. to, I. this is a whole nother conversation, probably a webcast. Like, you know, I really give props to Europe and Crest, like creating like their own pen testing certification. That's great. We do need some type of pen testing, like group that can lobby against this type of stupidity. The EFF, but Canadian. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe we need to do a, uh, another road trip y'all. Like we went to Adele. I, uh, we did it with security awareness con. I can't remember what the oh, hell yeah, we I, called it. Yep. But we went. To we should Adele, go into Ontario and honk our horns. I think That'll we need well. to go right to Canada and we need to like talk about what the flipper is, how security professionals use the flipper. And really try to do an awareness thing and not trying to be like assholes about it, but honestly doing it from an awareness and education perspective. Yeah, if on you're Canadian, how this actually it, works.
3: Hit us up. Talking so, about the news goes to Canada. I love
1: it. Yeah, that. Right. hit us up. I'm talk John to Let's make it happen, folks. Let, yeah. Let's can't, do it. Can't, 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 what, what are it? What first,
0: uh, uh, what's that? March 15? Vancouver. If only
1: I knew somebody who knew somebody at ConSec West that could get us an evening thing. What so. are the
4: odds that they would jail a bunch of Americans and detain us with okay. flipper zeros? Pretty high. I, I'm not you know worried <laughs> about them. I'm worried yeah. about
8: like coming back into the states to where okay. they're like, so you tell us about this talk that you gave on flippers. And but, we're just, but Alex, we're just you're permanently the closest. Canadian. We're just permanently just, Canadian citizens then that they just go, the US yeah. doesn't let us back in.
7: Head yeah. over to Windsor, pop on in, pop back out. Yeah, and we have
1: friends that have broken into I mean, the United States. Yeah, well, they yeah maybe... Wisconsin's
7: close enough. All
6: yeah,
1: right. We're getting though. Thank we you
0: basically... all for
1: coming. We're spiraling Riding into like trying to figure out how to get into Canada with a bunch of flipper zeros. Thank you so much. <laughs> and we'll talk to you all next week.